and I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Cusimano. We're on a Wednesday now instead of a Sunday in the middle of the week talking some sports. Uh, still missing it. We're getting it back little by little. It uh, seems like every uh, every week we get a little more uh, little more sports action, but we're here to talk about it. Frank, as you can tell, just got done with a jog. Frank, how was your jog? How many miles did you go? And you can tell the truth. Uh, well, I went three running on the treadmill and then two walking outside. So five total. Not not bad, not a blistering pace, but I have an unhealthy appetite. That means I eat too much, so I have to jog every day. Okay, that wasn't too bad at bragging. That's okay, five miles. That's all right. We'll, we'll believe you, I guess. Okay, first things first, let's get to the big sports news this week. We know what the NHL playoffs are going to look like whenever they come back. 24 teams. It's going to be insane. The Blues finished with the most points in the West. They won the Central Division. But it really doesn't count for as much as we thought it was going to count for because of this new format. But everybody's just excited for something. We don't know any dates yet, but a lot of excitement here this week when it comes to hockey. Yeah, and you know, I never thought of uh, Gary Bettman as being a great commissioner, but I think Gary Bettman has been really good during COVID-19. I think this is an outstanding plan. Now, who knows what could happen if five or six players were to get sick on one team, then the season could be over. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they have, they've taken great uh, precautions on trying to make it as safe as possible, and they've really done it in a smart way. I mean, how smart is it, Corey, to have you know Chicago and Montreal – basically the last two teams in the postseason. You know, the dynasty from Canada and the third biggest market in the country who's won three Stanley Cups, you know, over the last decade. So I think they played it really smart, and it's going to be absolutely thrilling when it begins in Las Vegas and either Pittsburgh, Columbus, or maybe Edmonton or Toronto. It's going to be great. What, uh, let's get to that hub cities thing. St. Louis, we thought they might have a good shot, especially if there were four cities. There's only two one in each uh, conference. St. Louis is not on the short list of 10. I was a little surprised they didn't at least make the short list. Uh, what is just too many cases here? There's definitely the ice, the facilities. I, I was surprised St. Louis didn't make the list. What have you been hearing? Well, I heard, um, I talked to two people involved uh, with the Blues on this, and I heard two different things. One is uh, maybe not enough hotels in walking distance or real close to the Enterprise Center. And the other, even though we do have a plethora of rinks in our town, uh, none really close to the Enterprise Center. I mean, that one that one out in Maryville, is, uh, the Maryville University one is really far away. It's not like the Centene Community Ice Center is 10 minutes away. So I, I, I imagine the two cities that are going to get it are going to have a lot of rinks and a lot of hotels or, you know, or one of the other really strong. Like with Las Vegas, of course, you know, hotels are going to be very easy for them. That's a good point. Everybody, if you're just tuning in and you have a question or something you want to talk about, drop it in the comments. I'm trying to monitor all of them here. Uh, let's talk about the outlook for the Blues specifically because finished as the best team in the West, but now they have to play against Vegas, Colorado, Dallas around Robin to determine who's going to get the top seeding, which I guess is their way of saying, okay, there was time left in the schedule. Who knows who would have ended up first, so this is the most fair way. But it still kind of stings a little that the Blues aren't going to get the top spot necessarily, even though they had the most points. Yeah, but the season wasn't over, and Colorado was maybe a point or two behind. It could have gone either way. 
I'm not complaining about this. Look, if if you were you know betting on one team to come out of the Western Conference, you'd bet on the team that just won the Stanley Cup and oh by the way is getting their most talented goal scorer back. You know for the postseason. You know I'm not saying it's a cakewalk, but boy when you, when you've done it so recently before and you're getting Tarasenko back and you have a goalie who's playoff tested, man, you got some chemistry. You got a lot of things going for you. I mean. I'm not sure if they're going to beat the best team from the East, which could be Washington, which could be Boston, but I think they have the best chance to get out of the West. The NHL playoffs are always my favorite playoffs to watch because they're always so intense. I can't even imagine what this is going to be with expanded in those first five-game series of teams just scrapping and clawing for everything. It's going to be really fun to watch. Is there anybody you wouldn't want to see the Blues face in their first round eventually. I think uh, I think Winnipeg could be tough for them as they have been in the past, and I think they want to avoid Edmonton at all costs. Yeah, you know, because they'd have the best player on the ice in Connor McDavid. Yeah, I think, I think Edmonton would be, you know, of the four outside the top four seeds, that would be a team you probably wouldn't want to see. Um, you know, I also think, though, Corey, that uh, that, that chemistry... And, you know, their familiarity on how to get it done and how to win seven-game series just can't be underestimated. They had the seven-game series against Dallas. They put six against San Jose. They went seven against Boston. They got the right formula. And, man, see if you can come up with one thing Craig Berube did wrong down the stretch last year. So I just can't wait. I was talking to John Kelly today about it. And um, in this first round where the local broadcasts are going on, John Kelly said he would not be surprised if he is actually doing the broadcast from the Channel 9 studios because they're only going to allow 50 people to travel and it's going to be a 30-man roster. And then you're talking about coaches and other personnel. That you know, It's interesting, the television voice of the Blues may be in St. Louis broadcasting the playoff games. <laughs> Let's check. Scott Connell. Five on your side, meteorologist in the comments, giving a shout out to Monique, saying, "Let's hear it for Frank's better half." I'm just saying, she's a saint. Definitely been helping Frank out these last few weeks with his camera work and his magnificent lighting for all of his shots. <laughs> she is high maintenance. She's yelling at me, and you know, one time <laughs> I, I, I was kind of stumbling a little bit. We did something on tape, and she's kind of making me feel ill at ease. And I said to her. You know, Monique, the object or one of the goals of the photographer is to make the talent feel at ease. And she said, you're the talent? And started to laugh and walked away. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to the other big uh, news that people were talking about this week. The Cardinals have two or have three new members of their Hall of Fame. You're on the Red Ribbon Committee, John Tudor, Tommy Herr, and Bill White all getting elected. Uh, who knows when we'll actually get to see him go in because uh, I doubt they're going to have the Hall of Fame weekend like they do normally at Bush Stadium this year. So who knows when we actually get to see those guys go in. But all three deserving. Uh, you were in on some of those debates. What's your initial takeaway from the three guys who made it? Well, I was surprised. Like you, you were the first person who texted me. How did Hernandez got not get in? He'll get in next year. And it'll be kind of cool because... Um, if Keith gets in with Tudor and Tommy, 
you know, in the same basic year, even though this is a 2020 class and Keith will be 2021. It'd be kind of cool to have all three of those, you know, great players from the 80s going into the same year. Um, my first reaction was I was really pleased because uh, Tommy Hurst has always been a favorite. Corey, this is an undrafted, you know, free agent from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who played all these sports in high school, and he didn't specialize in any, so nobody really found out about him. I think he played like a 15 or 16 game high school season, and he was kind of discovered in the summer. And then John Tudor, I mean, this guy went to a junior college, and then he wrote a letter to the Georgia Southern coach, and he basically said, you know, I have some friends and teammates going down there, would you give me a chance to make the team? And then a few years later, you know, he's drafted by the Boston Red Sox, and then he has that magical 1985 season. Corey, the one stat about Tudor, it's so great. It's not the 20-1 stat, but it's this. He had 10 shutouts. No one in baseball has had 10 shutouts since, and no one in the rest of baseball is ever going to have 10 shutouts in a season because we emphasize, you know, the, the middle reliever and the closer. What John Tudor did in 1985 will never, ever be repeated again with 10 shutouts. That's a good point. Both of those guys, 1985s, was pretty crazy. Tommy Hurst, 1985, is one of my favorite stat lines ever. He drove in 110 runs with only eight home runs. I, nobody's done. Nobody's driven in over 100 with less than 10 since then. And the way we're seeing balls fly out now, that that may never be done again also. So just a really confluence of yeah. two unique and really impressive seasons, and both those guys are in the Hall of Fame now, deservedly. And, you know, Tommy had the advantage, and he'll be the first one to tell you about it. And we have a feature coming up uh, on Tommy on Monday night, but um, ahead of him was Vince Coleman and Willie McGee. So they were on base and getting to second and third. Behind him was Jack Clark. So you're not going to walk Tommy Herr. He's going to get pitches to hit. And, oh, by the way, the guy hitting in the eighth spot, Ozzie Smith, had a 355 on base percentage that year. So every time Tommy Herr walked up to the plate, and I, this is an interesting stat, Corey, I think it was 256 times he walked to the plate with runners on base or runners in scoring position. So he had the opportunity, and he didn't miss that opportunity. Let's talk about the other guy who got in, Bill White, uh, who you helped get in with the Red Ribbon Committee. Probably one of the more underrated guys in Cardinals history. Just how good was he? What was some of the uh, what was some of the talk going on in the room to make sure he got into the Hall of Fame this year? Well, Corey, we wanted to put him in two years ago, and the commish Rick Hummel said, "Look, I talked to Bill. He doesn't really want a part of it." And so then last year we said, Kamish, what do you think? And then so the Cardinals finally got to him and said, Bill, we want to put you into the Hall of Fame. And so I guess he's at a point, you know, when you're, I guess he's in his 80s, you know, none of this means anything, but he agreed to come. He did tell the Cardinals, though, that I'm not going to do any media, so you won't see any Channel 5 features on him in the next uh, three or four days. But he was a great player, there's no doubt about it. He was the glue of the 64 team. Uh, as a gold glover and, you know, a real leader, former president of the National League. He was a class act and did a lot for baseball. Right, if you guys are still watching, you have something you want us to talk about, leave a comment. I'll try and mention it here. Uh, let's get to something 
that we were both watching, everybody was watching on Sunday. Actually, I just wrote a story about Adam Wainwright, uh, an idea he had after watching the match, Tiger and Peyton versus Brady and Phil. Wainwright challenged Justin Verlander to a match-style uh, event on his own. But that seemed really special on Sunday. I mean, it kind of had an unpredictability about it. You didn't know what was going to happen. They weren't always playing great, but it was always entertaining. And I think I sat there and watched pretty much the whole thing all the way through. I couldn't turn it off either, Corey. And each one of them brought something like different to the table. Peyton was the wittiest. Uh, Phil was the best teacher. Brady was the worst, but he had the two special moments. And Tiger <laughs> was simply the best. And, you know, there was something really likable about all four. I know they're not perfect. They've all had, they've all had an issue or two in their lives. But, boy, they, they just couldn't have been more likable. And you had Barkley on the broadcast. I mean, it was tremendous television. I think the only thing that could, maybe it could get close to that is if you had, like, Jordan against Gretzky with Tiger and Phil. Oh, oh, that would be really cool. Tiger, they'd have to... Yeah, I mean, Jordan would be the only one, all... don't you think? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd love but to... I, mean, I would watch anything with Michael Jordan on a golf course, so... <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the fact that Tiger and Phil were quarterbacks... I mean, I mean Tiger... Excuse me, Phil and Peyton are quarterbacks and had these long careers against each other, made it even more special. But if you get the GOAT in one sport against the GOAT in the other with the GOAT in golf and Phil, that's, that's pretty good. Mm. And i tell you one more thing. I'll tell you. I, is it makes... Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and you, you, you're playing the game of golf and you love it. It makes you really appreciate how good these guys are and just how much pressure is on a golfer. I promise you, Corey, the next day, if Tom Brady would, would go out there and play golf with, say, Julian Edelman on that same course, he could hit four or five fairways as opposed to Sunday, he was a mess. And, you know, he, he, you know with the exception of a couple of shots, it was brutal. Honestly, I've never been a, a huge Brady fan. You know, I've respected his career. But he made me like him a lot more watching him on Sunday. Honestly, seeing him, I see him shank these like, oh, my God, I could hit better than that. Okay, he's just like ripping his yeah. pants out there. I, I had a heck of a time watching him. I think everybody loved it, too. The, the audience was nearly 6 million people. It was insane. All right, last thing here. I don't think we kind of previewed uh, underrated list last week, but I, we can wrap it up because we didn't reveal all of them. Uh, just your big takeaways from that. I, I had fun doing some digging on those guys. Roy Seavers uh, is someone who I, I did not nearly know enough about, and now I'm very glad I do and found some really cool pictures of him too. So it was kind of cool to shine a spotlight on some of those guys. Yeah, you even found a picture of him with uh, Vice President uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon, I think, right? Yes, uh, I used. I found three. I found three pictures of him that I think we used, and one of them was with Nixon, and one of them was with Mickey Mantle. So they had a pretty good selection. Wow. Yeah, he could really hit. The other guy that jumped out at me on the list was Michael Spinks, and we're going to do a TV feature on him next week. But the guy fought 
in his first 31 fights, he was 31 and 0. He lost to Mike Tyson, and it was a 91 second fight, granted, but he left. He got a 13 million dollar paycheck and said, "You know what? I don't need this." But you look at his career: Olympic gold medalist, light heavyweight champion, and heavyweight champion. He beat Larry Holmes twice. Michael Spinks is, I think, the most underrated athlete in our town's history. We have some great pictures of him, too. Uh, before we go, last thing here. Uh, you're shining a light on some of the, the guys, uh, the athletes around here, that have given back a lot in our community, charity-wise, especially right now when that's so important. And there's no shortage. You could have done a list of 50 different people because uh, it always seems like when somebody comes here or if they're from here, they're always stepping in to help out. Uh, who uh, We just did the football guys today, Isaac Bruce and Kurt Warner and Demetrius Johnson. Who, uh, who are you excited to highlight uh, this week? Well, I think tomorrow uh, we're going to do three Cardinal pitchers, Jason Mott, Adam Wainwright, and Kyle McClellan. And McClellan is just insane what he's done in Haiti. You know, building schools, building hospitals, you know, providing clean water. You know, the guy's dedicated his whole life after baseball to helping out people. Um, there's a lot of great people on this list, but I'm excited to tell the, the three Cardinal pitchers list tomorrow with your help and your great photos and editing. That should be great, everybody. Tune in all week long. We're going to have that list coming out for you. Thanks for tuning in tonight on Wednesday, the Sports Plus Live here on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I think we're going to keep doing these on Wednesdays from now on instead of Sunday. So your Sunday's free, and a couple Sundays from now, I think we're all going to be watching that Mark McGuire-Sammy Sosa documentary on ESPN just as intently as we were watching the Michael Jordan documentary uh, over the past few weeks. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a good rest of your Wednesday.